it's good to be in the presence of the Lord. And like many of you out there, I could have used another hour of sleep. I believe that spring forward is of the devil. <laughs> oh, but it's good to be in the presence of the Lord. Um, and so just want to remind you that on uh, Good Friday at 6 a.m. to the Saturday at 6 a.m., we're having a 24-hour uh, prayer watch where we're just going to be in the presence of the Lord uh, virtually, and we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does for us as we go into uh, the day before Easter and then, of course, Easter Sunday being on April the 4th. Uh, to ask the, as you know, every week we have a question for our children ages uh, 17 and under. And uh, the question that I'm asking, and if you can answer that question, if you have the question, answer the question, please send your answer, uh, children, to the email listed below. So the question is, I spoke last week that uh, what did Joseph learn to do while he was in Potiphar's house? What did he learn to do while he was in prison that prepared him to serve Pharaoh in the palace? Again, what did Joseph, as, as horrible as it was to be a slave in Potiphar's house, he learned something from God. Then as horrible as it was for him to be falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, which caused him to be thrown in prison, Yet God taught him something in prison. And the two things God taught him, qualified him, prepared him to serve in the palace with King Pharaoh. So send your answer there uh, to the link below. And hopefully it will be a prize for you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. John chapter 16, Verse 7 in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 28. Reading from the NIV, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Not simply good, but very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And of course, we know the seventh day is the day of Sabbath, the day of rest, where God actually did no work. John chapter 6, verse 7, reading from the J.B. Phillips translation. Yet I am telling you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. The simple truth that when I assure you that it is a good thing, it is a God thing for you that I go away, which is crazy that Jesus is saying it's actually a good thing that I go away. For if I do not go away, the divine helper, the Passion Translation calls him the divine encourager. Of course, we know this to be the Holy Spirit. 
The divine courage will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. In fact, he is more than a person. He is God. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What's our weakness? We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he, that is God, who searches our heart, knows what's in the mind of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance, in harmony, in agreement with the will of God. And because the Holy Spirit is praying in harmony with God's will, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to God's purpose. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to speak to you on the subject we're on this series, You Are Not Alone. We know that this has been a tough season. This has been a tough season uh, with this pandemic. And as we've been watching many uh, programs, whether it's news programs like CNN and MSNBC and Fox, but also uh, you know, sporting programs such as ESPN and FS1, where they are they're I shouldn't say celebrating, but commemorating that this is a year, this month represents a year of the shutdown. And, and people are, uh, are feeling depressed, people are feeling suicidal. It's almost like, when is this going to be over? And I, and I, and I can almost, and I, I know for us, I said to my wife, I said, honey, this is, the, this is the first year anniversary of our being quarantined. Uh, we, we were on a cruise, just getting some rest, and while in the middle of a cruise, we realized, uh-oh, this is not going good. And by, by the time we got back uh, from the cruise, we were told not to come back to the church. I felt like I was kicked out of the church. Uh, they said, don't come back. Don't ask anybody to, to uh, pick you up. Call an Uber, like I was saying, yeah, give the, give the Uber driver you know, coronavirus, but leave our people alone. <laughs> And, and, and we were quarantined, and I had to ask Elder Nita to preach on one Sunday, and Sister Deidre Tao on the other Sunday did an amazing job. But the point is, is that if you'd have told any of us that we'd be still doing this, and wearing a mask, and, and walking six feet apart, and, and using Perel, you know, some of you named your daughter Perel, Lord have mercy on this. If you'd have told anybody that we'd still be in this, we'd be like, nah, it, it, it'll be over. And yet we are still here. And now the stress of it is really getting to people. And so the Lord put this word on us to this month during the season of Lent. From Good Friday all the way up to Easter that we are to be uh, what we call take the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit challenge. And we, we, we've heard many years ago about the bucket challenge, the 
for uh, Lou Garrett's disease that made that that raised you know millions of dollars, and uh, and so we're saying take the Holy Spirit challenge. What's the Holy Spirit challenge? The Holy Spirit challenge is simply this: treating the Holy Spirit like a person. So, for example, you know when I wake up in the morning, I usually say, "Hey, good morning, hon," uh, and because uh, she's sleeping next to me, "Good morning," and 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 God is saying. I want you to tell the Holy Spirit when you wake up, good morning, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead me through the day. And, and then at the end of the day, take notes as to how the Holy Spirit moved simply because you acknowledged him as a person. And I've been seeing amazing, oh my goodness, amazing things happen when you treat the Holy Spirit like a person and not a thing. So I challenge you. In fact, the Holy Spirit is so awesome, watch me, that you don't even have to be a believer, a Christian. You don't even have to believe in God. Test God. In fact, in fact, I believe God is saying, I'm, I'm almost kind of glad you're not religious and you weren't raised in the church and you don't believe in me. So he's asking you, because you're watching, he's asking you, put him to the test. Say, okay, I'm, 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 let me try this. But I'm telling you, when he starts to work, don't, watch this, don't give the credit to luck. Because you just decided that you would challenge the Holy Spirit. Okay, God, if you're real, do something. And he's going to do something. And so I want to speak to you on the subject, because it's been a tough season. Uh, I want to continue on the subject, where do I find good? Continue. Because Paul says, and we know all things work together for good. And when we're looking around, people losing their jobs, people dying, over half a million people have died from coronavirus, COVID-19, including my dad. Like, where, where, do you, where do I find the good? People have lost their jobs. People lost their apartments, their homes. Where do I find good? Where, where do I find good? And I want to encourage you because the Bible says not all things are good. All things are worked together for good. All things are worked together, meaning that God says it's a mess, but I, through the power of my Holy Spirit, have the ability to, make, to turn a mess into a masterpiece so that nobody will get the credit but me. So let me pray right now. Join me, just let me pray. Father, I stand before you in apostolic office, and I, and I pray the prayer of Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Father, I pray that my speech and preaching will not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom, books I've read, or messages I heard, or or even my own wisdom. But I pray that my speaking will be full of demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power that people's faith will not rest in the wisdom and witty, uh, ingenious talks of men, but in the power of God. I pray that prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, 17, and 18. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give all of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Let the eyes 
of the understanding of our heart be enlightened so that we would know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance that you have in each and every one of us who are your saints, and help us to know the exceeding greatness of, the, of your power to us who believe. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And finally, instead of standing in this apostolic office, Lord, I borrow the, the words of the writer of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, that you would bear witness to what I am speaking, both with signs and wonders and different miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to your will. Speak to people like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, I've been going through a book uh, called uh, uh, the, Good, the Good, Good Gospel. And in that book, the, the writer uh, states, you might hopefully see the screenshot of that book. In that book, the writer says something that's very interesting. She says that, that um, the word good, and I like what she was saying, it, it, in, in the Hebrew word of good, it, it means the goodness of the ties and relationship between things. The goodness of the ties and relationship between things. Now, <clears throat> you need to understand that when you, when, when you read the Bible, and one of the frustrating things that I have when I hear people talk about the Bible is that we read the Bible as if the Bible was not written to a certain uh, culture, wasn't written to a certain people. And, and so many times what happens is that we try to translate the Bible into a 21st century mentality when, yes, the Bible is speaking to us, of course, but the original listeners were in a culture. So but the point I'm saying is that when you read the Bible, Genesis is written to uh, the, the, uh, the Jewish culture during that time. It was written to Jewish people. And so what am I saying? I'm saying that in the Jewish mind, they understood what good meant. Now, we as Americans have been... Uh, whether you believe it or not, we of Americans <clears throat> are still living under what you call a Greek philosophy culture. Alexander the Great, and I know you're like, why are you giving me this lesson, this Hebrew, this, this history lesson for? I came to church, not you know, school. But you need to understand that Alexander the Great, his goal was to, was to uh, uh, indoctrinate the entire world with the Greek culture. And, and so in the Greek mind, which unfortunately still exists in the American mind, is good means I'm good, and as long as I'm good, that's good. And even now, when you, you know, uh, young people used to use the slang, you know, I'm good. It means that as long as I'm good, everything's good. But in the Hebrew culture, you were not good unless everybody and everything tied to you was good. So in other words, when we were doing the prayer walk and we saw that young man who was homeless, I couldn't look at that young man being homeless and yet I have my own home and feel good about me simply being good. That's a good one right there. 
And that's what's wrong with America right now, is that, you know, and I hate to say this, but, and I don't want to be political, but I, I just find it astounding, I, I, I find it mind-boggling that, that, that people can be suffering and not one Republican voted to, to relieve people's pain. This is not a Republican or a Democrat. This is just human decency, human compassion. And my point is, is that if I'm good and people around me are not good and relationships around me are not good, then I can't be good. And so when, when you got to understand, when God created earth and, the, and, 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 and filled it with with trees and plants and animals and insects and, and water. It, when it says, when it says, and God saw that it was good, what he was saying is that the way the water related to the land and the trees related to the insects, and all everything harmonized for good. And I like what this book says. It, it's not simply it was good. It was vehemently good. Like God was like, I am going to put all my strength into making sure all the relationships are beneficial. And that's why uh, the book of Isaiah, particularly in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, and Isaiah 65, verse 25, when, when Jesus comes to restore the new earth, it says, watch this, the wolf and the lamb will lie together without the wolf saying, ooh, lamb chops. See, when God first created the planet, the lions weren't chasing down there to kill them. Wolves were not trying to devour lambs. They were, they were working together. There was, a, there was a wonderful relationship. Sin, the devil, when sin came into earth, that's when all of this terror took place. And so when God restores the earth to the way that he wants it to be, that's when Jesus comes again. You're going to see the lion and the wolf lie down together and everybody is going to be Good, and that's why God gets so Lord have mercy. That's why God gets so frustrated with His church when people on one pew won't sit, won't talk to another person. Like He's saying, that's not good. Oh, it's quiet in that chat. I don't know. I'm not in the chat, but I'm just assuming that the Holy. I hope the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And Paul picks up this theme in the New Testament. Where again, this word good, all things work together for good, it, this word good in the Greek means of constitution, meaning the way in which things are composed or made up. Composed, meaning put together. Uh, all things work together for good, for usefulness. All things work together for good. They are, they are agreeable. All things work together for good. They benefit, meaning all things, and we know all things are fit together, fit well together for good, for the benefit of them who love God, who them who are called according to his purpose. The, I like the Jerusalem Bible says the Holy Spirit conspires things together for good, for your benefit. God has the ability to take your past and take your future 
and bring them together for your good. What do you mean? He can take a past experience. Let's say you're looking for a job. He could take a past experience that you maybe you maybe you play little league baseball. And he could take a future experience, meaning that someone who is going to interview you for the job, God allows that person to leave the job so that he can bring in a person who's favorable to you, who just so happened to play Little League Baseball. And so now, you are in a job interview, and you're no better than any other candidate, and God knows that in the interview, he's already set you up by removing somebody and putting somebody in place, and you're just talking, and all of a sudden you say, yeah, I used to play Little League Baseball. You did? I did too. And you may find out that the only reason you got hired was because of some little fact in your past that God had it, mm, God had the ability to breathe it together for good. Has that ever happened to you? If that happened, you put your thumbs up in, in, in the chat when you realize that some, some ridiculously little fact of your life that had nothing to do with your experience, nothing to do with your grades, nothing to do with how, what, what, what ranking your class, what your class uh, grades were, had nothing to do with that, just this little fact of your past that got you that open door, God working things for your good. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps make things work together for my good. I, I want to talk to you briefly about two kinds of good. There's seasonal good, and then there's generational good. What seasonal good mean is, what I mean by seasonal good is good that happens in one's lifetime and seasonal and then generational good meaning that I'm talking about good that happens across generations. Okay. In other words, and I, and, and, and I was praying this, we had a midnight prayer and it was powerful and I was talking about the fact that this about generational good, about the fact that there are some colleges now that, uh, that the only reason why they will not close in the midst of this pandemic is because they, some of these colleges got an endowment back in the 1800s mm -hmm, that it's the 21st century and they're still doing well financially because of an endowment two and three centuries ago. That's, oh, that's what I call generational good. Okay, ah, ah, let me, let me just, so, so remember last week I was talking about seasonal good, meaning how Joseph, he was, he was sold out in, in uh, slavery by his brothers who couldn't, who hated him at the age of 17, and then he became a slave in Potiphar's house, but in Potiphar's house, he learned how, the Bible says three times, it says, while Joseph was a slave, saying, man, why, how could this happen to me? The Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph, meaning the Holy Spirit was with Joseph, and he found favor. And so in part of his house, Joseph learned how to uh, run the economy of Egypt. He learned how, because uh, he was, 
because he was the steward, he was, he was the manager of Potiphar's house, Potiphar's finances. He, and so he learned how to operate financially in Potiphar's house. And then when he was in prison, his, Potiphar's wife accused him falsely of rape. And so now he finds himself in prison and he's like, God, I was innocent. How could this happen to me? But God is saying, don't worry. I am with you and you will find favor. And so sure enough, Joseph finds favor in the sight of the head prison warden, the, the head prison guard. And, and in the prison, Joseph learns. See, Joseph always had dreams, but in prison, he learned how to interpret dreams. And so now you have Joseph knowing how the, the Egyptian economy runs because he ran, he ran his own, he ran the business of Potiphar. And then in prison, he learns how to interpret dreams. And, it, and then two years later, Pharaoh has a dream that he needs interpreted. And the butler, who Joseph interpreted his dream and said, you're going to live, says, oh, my goodness, I met this Hebrew guy, uh, this Jewish guy, and he interprets dreams. And, and so Potiphar calls, not Potiphar, Pharaoh calls, calls uh, Joseph and says, get that, get that Jewish guy in my presence. And oh, and, and that's what I want. I, I am speaking a word to some of you that God is going to move so quickly in your life that you're not even going to be dressed for the occasion. Woo! Suddenly, without warning, God comes through. Ah, that's a shout out to my sister Shauna. Anyways, get back to my message. Uh, if you want to know what happened, ask her suddenly without warning. And so uh, now he's standing before Pharaoh and he interprets his dream. And then Pharaoh says, well, uh, what, what do you suggest? And then Joseph, because he learned how to run the economy, which simply means household management in Greek, because Joseph learned how to run part of his house, he said, hey, I got my degree in economics. Let me run your country. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea how God is taking your past, taking your challenges, taking the things that have hurt you and said, don't worry, I'm going to put it together. And before you know it, I'm going to turn your problems into a promotion. Say that with me. My problem is my promotion. My problem is my promotion. Oh, yeah. Why? Because all things work together for good. But that's seasonal good. And, of course, we know that Joseph eventually meets his brother. And, and so the dream he had at 17 years old does not come to pass till he is 39. Two decades later. And some of you right now, you're like, God, when is this is horrible. Why, why, not thing, why are things not happening for me? And God is saying, don't worry. I am working it for good. Yeah, I know you thought it was going to take place in five years, but my times, I think, because I think it's Psalms 31, verse 14 to 16, says my times, plural, are in God's hand. My times, what do you mean? The time to promotions and time to get married and time to see my dreams fulfilled. Those times are in 
God's hand. Leave it alone. But then there's generational good, and this is what I want to end with, generational good. Because I was saying to uh, some of the folks in, in, uh, during midnight prayer, the Lord just giving me prophetic words, and I was saying to some of them, uh, your, your, your parent who is now uh, deceased, you need to understand that your mother and your father had prayed for you intensely and, and, and prayed not only for you, but your children and your grandchildren. And, and I like what Ian Bounds said. Ian Bounds was a Civil War uh, a chaplain. And he says, prayer has the ability to outlast the life of the person who prays. Ooh, by God, that God will make, oh, Jesus, I want to run around this church, but I need to stay here. That, that God makes covenantal blessings. Oh, my goodness. There's a, dif there's a difference between a covenant and a contract. A, co a contract is if you do your thing, I'll do my thing. A covenant is whether you do your thing or not, I'm going to do my thing. And so what God says is, God says um, to some of you, I made, oh, I made a covenant with your mom and your grandmother and, 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 and your grandfather. And, and, and you, uh, you think that all these doors are opening and, and, and all these blessings are coming because of you. It ain't coming because of you. I made a promise to your mama and your daddy and your grandpa who's now dead. I made a promise to them and I am the God who keeps covenant. I'm the God who keeps covenant. Don't believe me? The, the, the scripture that says God made a promise to David that that there will always be an, an heir from your, a descendant from you on the throne of uh, Israel. There'll always be a, 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 a person on the throne, a descendant. And so uh, 300 three, three centuries after that promise, one of David's descendants was so wicked and 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 was not following God. And the Bible says that the only reason that God did not jack that king up 300 years later is because he remembered his promise to David. And he had, the Bible says the Lord keeps his promises even to a thousand generations. And I want to say to you that I know I'm walking in generational good. I know that my father who passed away last year, I, I, I know that many of the doors that are open and many of the success that, that I see in my ministry is because God uh, and my father and I, I was blessed that my father and I have talked about this. And I said, Dad, I know that the doors that are going to open to my ministry is because of your faithfulness. That's why you hear me many times talk about my father and talk about the older saints, uh, my mother-in-law, Mother Salmon, and, and Dad Cummings, and all of the older saints who poured into me saying, you know, Brian, uh, Brian I'm praying for you. And, 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 and even, when, even when I grew up into a man and, and, and hear these people who knew me 
Why I was in a babe in my mother's arm and, and these people call me bishop and call, and, and call me their pastor and proud to call me pastor. I get called now from Mother, mother uh, Cummings who's going to be turning 90 this year. She, she knew me before my, I knew myself. And she called me and said, Pastor, I'm so proud of you. But I know that these people have, have, have endowed me with their prayers. So how can I not bless teenagers? How can I not pour out my prayers? Because I, because I want the obviously just just by the the, the law of, of of life itself. Someday I'm going to pass away, and I want teenagers who who eventually be in their thirties and forties and fifties and have children and have grandchildren. I want them to be able to say, when I was a teenager, when I was a kid, I had a pastor by the name of Brian Green, and he prayed for me, and I thought nothing would happen. But now, now I'm in my forties, and I remember what he said over my life, and now it's coming to pass. Generational. We've been traveling through the book of Isaiah. One of the powerful things about the book of Isaiah is that Isaiah, around 680 B.C., he prophesies that a Persian king, well, he, doesn't, he doesn't know it's a Persian king, but he, he prophesies by name, King Cyrus, and he says, my servant Cyrus is going to rescue my people and he is going to help to build my temple. Now, Isaiah is prophesying about Cyrus 150 years before Cyrus does this. He prophesies before they get captured in Babylon. He prophesies before Jerusalem and the temple is burnt down. He, he prophesies this 150 years prior to it so that when Israel gets captured by Babylon, when Israel sees Jerusalem burnt to the ground, the temple burnt to the ground. They're in captivity of Babylon for 70 years. And then all of a sudden, around 538 B.C., Persia comes in and, dest and destroys Babylon. And now the children of Israel are, are, are set free. And, and one of the Jewish people come up to Cyrus and says, Isaiah prophesied what you would do 150 years before you were born. And he even said your name would be Cyrus. And Cyrus is so moved that he says, let these people go back to their homeland of Jerusalem. And God of the universe said, I am to fund they're building the temple. That's generational. That, are you seeing this? That God could choose to bless you 150 years before you were even born. And you may say, well, Bishop, make it, make, make it, make it modern. Oh, watch this. 
The year is 1863. The country is split in two, the Confederate States and the United States. Black people are not people, they are slaves. Could you imagine in the midst of the Civil War where black people are no better than horses and donkeys and houses and buggies? Could you imagine a prophet rising up and saying 150 years from now, the Lord says a black man by the name of Barack is going to be the president of the United States of America, one country, there will be no Confederate states, there will be no United States, one country, and a black man is going to be a president. Could you imagine? That is the power, and you say, well, 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 you know, all right, well, 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 where's that? If you get an opportunity, watch uh, Professor Henry Gates' documentary on the black church, the first part, and you will see that those slaves were praying and praying and praying and believing that one day they'll be set free. That's how they got watch night service. Watch night service was not just something where, you know, I'm just, you know, I just want to bring in the new year with the presence of the Lord. No, watch night service was they were waiting for, for Lincoln to sign, you know, the, the Emancipation Proclamation. They were saying that maybe this will be the year. Maybe this will be the year. Maybe this will be the year. And then suddenly, they're declared free. And I believe that much of what I, I, I sincerely believe that Barack Obama became president as a black man because God was faithful to slaves who were crying out, God, someday, someday, can we be free? And God said, I'm going to do more than just make you free. I'm going to make a black man president of the United States. I'm going to make a black woman vice president of the United States. Oh, yes, I will. Because I'm the God who keeps generational covenants. So you're like, where can I find good? Oh, I'm telling you, God has the ability to create good. Let me end with this. I want you to show a picture of this old woman. Her name is Ma Bradshaw, Mother Bradshaw. You may say, well, okay. Mother Bradshaw is, is Mother Cummings' grandmother. She is Auntie Debbie Plummer's great-grandmother. She is Kendra's and Matthew's great-great-grandmother. So she is Auntie Debbie's plumber's Reverend Karen Cummings, great-grandmother. And she was alive when, when um, I was a kid. And 
I remember she had passed away. And when I was, when I was married to Lady Common, my mother-in-law, who's now passed away, Mother Selma, she said, Pastor, when Carmen was born, and, and my wife, she's the youngest of nine, and her next oldest sibling is four years older than she is, so she was, she was a, a kind of a oops, but she wasn't a oop because she was a oops for me, bless the Lord. Uh, if you don't understand that, you'll get it. And I remember my mother-in-law saying, Pastor, Mother Bradshaw, when Kam was born, she took her and spoke into her life and said, Louise, she is going to be quite a lady. And I never thought about that until years later, years later, some of you weren't here, but Angela and Veronica, uh, the amazing gospel singers, Stella Award winners, they just so happened to be at our church. Long story, I was like, they're at our church, oh my goodness. And, and of course, with them being at our church, I was like, you all, you all gonna sing, right? And in that service, Pastor Chandler preached and he called my wife and he said, um, Sister Kam, won't you come here? And he said, the Lord says, you are now to be called Lady Common. And you're to step up, some of you who are there, remember, you're to step up to a new level, and you are Lady Common. And that's how she got called Lady Common. It wasn't because I know a lot, a lot of churches called her First Lady First. No, she, we, we ran into that. The Lord said, call her Lady Common. And the Lord said, that prophetic word from Mother Bradshaw, a great-grandmother, changed my wife's destiny. And I want my wife to come up now, and I want her to share what kind of life she had to go through to get to good. Because who you see now was not who she was until God made everything work together for good. And then we'll close in prayer for you. Good, finding the good. And I just want to share a portion of my life, of my story. So finding the good. Um, in the first grade, I was kept back in school. Think of first grade, how could you be kept back? But I was kept back in school because I just wouldn't talk. I just would not participate in the classroom, so they thought something was wrong with me. So they say, this child, she can't go on to the next grade. So in the first grade, I was kept back, and from that, seeds of shame, seeds of feeling, well, there must be something wrong with me. There must be, 
I must be, you know, dumb. I must be stupid. And I really saw how those failings and those seeds planted of shame and embarrassment, how that just traveled with my life, really throughout all of my educational journey. I mean, I went through school. I, I got through school, but always having that feeling, always being plagued with something must be wrong with me. You know, I went to college. I got associate's degree. That's as far as I went. And I really, uh, really did that to please, you know, my parents, to please my father particularly. But it was like always a struggle, always a challenge of just feeling that I was smart, that I was, that I could really understand and, and, and capture all the different years of being in school. So finding good, finding good in my life. Four years ago, I can't believe it's already four years, but back in 2017, if you all remember that we had a service, and it was around the Me Too uh, movement when things were just happening, just everything was like coming out of the woodworks, and we had a service, and Bishop had preached about sexual abuse, misconduct, and there were several people that came up and gave their testimony, and then I was the last person that came up to say that I was also sexually abused when I was a minor, finding good. So now there's more shame that's planted in my life. And in the uh, first 15 years of our marriage, I could not even share that with my husband. The shame, the embarrassment, it's like, no, put that, just put that behind you. You, you asked forgiveness, you told family members, but now I need to tell somebody else. So the first 15 years, I couldn't even tell my husband. And, and that shame brought um, even embarrassment, even in our marriage, even for me, intimately. I struggled finding the good finding the good. And then also in my life, in marriage, the first five years, I didn't drive. Had my license, but just couldn't drive because of fear. So my husband, he had to drive me around for five years, everywhere, everywhere. And you know, I think after a while that, that gets old. It's like, like, come on, sister, come on, <laughs> you know. But those first five years, struggling, struggling, trying to find good, but could not find good in myself. I knew that eventually one day he would become a pastor. He told me, so you know, I'm going to be a pastor one day. And you know, you hear something, it's like, yeah, okay. But when the day finally came, he became a pastor, 
And that made me a pastor's wife. That made me a first lady. I hated it. I hated being a pastor's wife. Because I felt like I'm just so inadequate. There's shame on top of shame here. What do I have to offer? What do I have to give to people? What do I have to say? As I said growing up, it was like I just wouldn't talk. I just would not speak. So it didn't feel like I even had a voice with insecurities, with low self-esteem. I hated it. It's like I, I was here, I did it, but I deep down inside, I hated it. And, you know, that affected Bishop. That affected um, Pastor. He could sense, you know, I would try to act like, okay, yeah, I'm with you. I'll sit on the front pew. I'll smile. But deep down inside, I don't want this. Finding the good. The Spirit of God wanted me to find the good in my life. So he, he tracked with me. Even though the way I felt about myself, he said, I'm going to show you. I'm going to allow you to see yourself, to see the good in your life. And, you, you know, it was really in my 40s, 40s that I finally saw my, my true worth in my 40s. In, I found my true worth, my self-value. I started loving myself in my 40s. So I could already start to see how the Lord was saying, there's good in you. There is good in you, but you're going to have to see see that for yourself. The word that I received uh, many years ago that said that, I think it was from um, Pastor Kathleen um, Verna, said that, Carmen, you were created for the 21st century. It's like, wow, okay, 21st century. And at that time, we weren't in the 21st century. But that word was the beginning of the healing. That one of those words, that was one of the words that was the beginning of healing in my life, healing in my journey, walking to see the good in me. That word was the journey of setting me free. So my journey forward towards uh, finding good what is the good that's in my life that I can say now is being an encouragement to both female and male individuals, being an encouragement, just pouring into them, just loving them. That's finding good. Showing my smile. That's finding good. There have been times when I, we have been at uh, morning prayer and I show my face, video, I'm probably maybe I can probably count on one hand how many people at morning prayer <laughs> have their video on, show their face. But most of the time, I've heard people say, Lady Carmen, I look forward to see your, smi to see your smile. 
in the morning. And it's, it's not, I, I'm not faking it. It's like, no, I genuinely am smiling, be, smiling because there's joy, there's joy in my heart. So that's finding the good. Being a good listener. I don't talk a lot, but I love to listen. I love to just hear people's story. And, you know, as people are talking, you can really find out a lot about individuals when you just listen. So I love to listen. And it's interesting how it seems like people that love to talk are gravitated towards me. But I love to listen because I believe that that's the good in me. My ability to help and mentor broken individuals. Because I know that I once was broken. So the ability to come alongside individuals. Mainly, I know I, I come alongside young women, but this capacity to come alongside even broken young men. That's finding good. So, you know, I've shared some of these things of what's happened in my life. And I could say, I can really stay like in a place of just anger, frustration, bitter because of the experiences that happened to me. But you know what? No matter what has happened to me, I can speak for myself, no matter what has happened to me, that doesn't define who I am. Does not define who I am. So see, things can happen. You, you know, you, you can't be in control of the things that have happened in your life but you can be in control of how you're going to move forward, how you're going to, to uh, define and see who you are. And to be in, uh, defining yourself, that comes from the Lord, the Lord showing you who you are. And as I was saying, just going through this journey of being um, set free, I saw the Lord showing me who I was. And for years, yes, I, I compared myself with other Pastors' wives, I could um, compare myself with other women. It's like, oh, well, if I could just be like that person, if I just could talk like that person, if I could just preach like that person, if I could just teach like that person, if I could have the degrees behind my name like that person. But God said, you, Carmen, you just be yourself. And I have finally accepted that. That common is enough. Common is enough. And so there are individuals that, you know, I may say, well, am I called to them? I don't have this or I don't got that going on. So I was like saying, don't worry about that. I'm going to bring the people that need you in their lives. So finding the good, finding the good. I have a mentoring group that I meet with um, once a month. And we met last night. And I was sharing about how we need to let go of things. And holding life with an open hand. And I had them, I told them beforehand, beforehand to uh, bring a, a rock, a small rock, to that Zoom, <laughs> Zoom meeting. Put it, place it in your hand, close your fist, hold on tight to that rock. And as they were doing that, I was doing that also. 
And I was like, how does that feel? You hold on to that rock, clenching it. There's tightness. There's uncomfortable, being uncomfortable. There's pain. Someone said, my fingers are starting to tingle. I'm starting to lose feeling in my fingers. We can choose to live life like that, holding on tight. But we can also choose to open up our hand and allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives. Because when we open our hand, God can remove and place. He can surprise us. He can bring surprise. If our hand is closed, if our life is closed, God can't bring the surprise to us. God can't bring the healing to us. God can't bring the change to us. When we simply open our hand, our hand is relaxed, our hand is free, our hand is available, and God can come in and do what he wants to do in our lives. So I just want to encourage you, as I said, I'm an encourager, that again, no matter what you have gone through, and I know everyone has gone through something, everyone has a story, but what, is your, what will be your choice? Will you stay in that place of sometimes having a victim's mentality? And I knew I had a victim's mentality. It was like, woe is me. Will this ever change? I can't, I can't move beyond. I can't rise uh, above this. But at some point, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to destroy this victim mentality because it's just keeping me back. It's just holding me back. And when I chose to do that, that's when I saw God's hand, God's provision, God's providence in my life. God being a sovereign God. You know, God being sovereign, he takes everything about you. He weaves in the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between. And he weaves it all together in your life, in my life. So I just want to close with this scripture found in Galatians Chapter 6, verse 15, and it's from the message translation. It says, can't you see the central issue in all of this? It is not what you do or I do. It is what God is doing. And he is creating something totally new, a free life. That's what the Lord wants to do for each and one of us, to create a free life. So we have a choice to make. Either we stay in that place of, in that holding pattern, in that, well, I don't know if I'll ever make it out, or see the good. See the good the Lord shows you. See the good in your life. Amen. Amen. We're going to close right now. I'm going to have my wife pray for you. You see, this is why, um, this is why the Lord told me to bless all the teenagers, send them a blessing. This is why many times I end with a blessing because I know the power of, the power of a prophetic word. Mother Bradshaw simply said, She's going to be quite a lady. 
I don't think God is so brilliant because, I mean, what if God told you, you know, the first 40 years of your life are going to be kind of miserable, but I've, I've really created you for another century. Like, I think sometimes God just tells us enough to keep us going. And, um, and so every morning I wake up, if you wonder why do I believe in people so much and why do I believe what God can do, because every morning I wake up next to a miracle. <laughs> this woman who was afraid to drive, now she's taking corners like she's on the Indy 500. <laughs> Maybe once in a while, she'll say, hey, Brian, are you ready? That's for married couples. Uh, it's just amazing what God, well, you, you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me that God cannot work everything out for good. So when people come to me and say, well, you know, you don't understand my story, I say, you have no idea what my wife and I have traveled together in. And have seen God work the pain into a promotion. What do you mean a promotion? A promotion meaning a next grade? No, a promotion meaning promoting the goodness of God. We are God's, I tell you, we are God's greatest promoters because we have seen him do a good work. And so I'm going to ask you right now to put your hands out. And and and, and, and putting your hands out, it it. This is not so much a putting your hand out to receive the blessing. This is a put your hand out to release the past. Release all the stuff that has happened up to this moment. To release the pandemic pain. Release it all. And you're saying, God, I am open for the new thing. That's why... On Easter, I'm going to be speaking about reset. God wants to reset us for the good. There's something good that's that's being worked out, but God needs our cooperation. So I'm going to ask Lady Carmen to pray this final prayer over your life. And I'm believing that from this moment on, you do know that next Sunday is a new season. It's spring. And I believe that you're, you're going to enter into a new season that old things are passed away and behold the new. So Carmel, can you pray? And this will be the final prayer. Put your hands out to receive the new covenant. The Bible says in James chapter 1 verse 17, every good gift and perfect gift comes from above. So you're saying, all right, God, I'm letting go of my past so that I can receive your future. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you, you see the good in all of us. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what we have gone through, what experiences we have experienced, you say, that's not who you are. That doesn't define you. I defined you. I created you. I made you. I called you by name. So, Father, I pray for your children, Lord, that in this time of, yes, the different things that we may experience, the different things that we have experienced even in last year and this year, and we're like, God, I feel alone. Lord, may you show 
yourself. May you show yourself. May you show yourself strong. May you reveal yourself. Letting your children know that there is good. I have placed good in you. Because you, when you created the world, at the end of each day, you said it was good. It was good. So, Lord, when you see us, you don't see our problems. You don't see our personality. You don't see the inadequacies. You see us as good. Because we were created in your image. So I pray for your children. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord God, that you would allow them to receive and to see themselves through your perspective. Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us. You would teach us, even as I said, holding our lives with the open, with the open hand. Lord God, that we would choose to unclench our hand for whatever reason why we've held on, that we choose to let it go, God. We choose to give it to you. We choose to hand it off to you so that you can hand back, hand to us your peace, your strength, your freedom, your liberty, your healing, your restoration, your salvation, God. And Lord, there may be those that have even are watching even now, Lord, that they may be outside of the family of God. But, Lord, they are still your children. They may be your lost children, but they are your lost sons and daughters. And, Lord, we ask that you would call them back to you, that you would open up the door that they can enter, that they can see you the way they need to see you so that they can see themselves the way they need to see themselves. Thank you, Father, that you have the ability to take, as Bishop said, messy things and make it a masterpiece. We are your masterpieces. We are your art that you're creating in every stroke of the brush. You are creating something masterful, something wonderful that everyone will be able to see, that you will put us on display to see, that they'll be able to see the goodness, the goodness. So, Father, I, I pray, Lord, that well after this service is over, during the rest of this day and into this week, Lord, that you would just allow us to see the good in our lives, that we would choose to see the good in our lives. It may be just one thing, but that's enough. That's enough. And you said that we are enough, that we are enough. So, Lord, I bless your people. I bless your people this day to, to walk in freedom, to walk in liberty that you have provided, that you have given for us to walk in. Thank you, Lord, for this service. Thank you, Lord, for the newness. Thank you for movement. Thank you for openness. Thank you for freedom. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's sing this with us. Good. Oh, you are good. Good. Tell the Lord. Oh, you are good. Good. Oh, tell the Lord you are good. Good. Oh. 
God bless you.